Good morning, TFA. What a privilege it is to be here this morning and to have an opportunity to uh, be a part of your missions weekend and concentrate on what God wants to do, not just Tuscaloosa, not just what God wants to do in Alabama, but what God can do throughout the world. Amen. I want to say thank you uh, to uh, to this church because for uh, basically the entire time we have been missionaries. Uh, we got our appointment in 1991, and uh, uh, it was back then that Tuscaloosa First Assembly came alongside us and has uh, been supporting us both financially on a monthly basis as well as prayerfully for for all of that time. And uh, we started out in Costa Rica and living there in Costa Rica uh, until the year 2000 that we moved to Mexico and uh, developed the Ministry of Latin American Child Care there in that country. And then in the year 2011, uh, stepped into the leadership role for LACC. And uh, so first of all, I want to say thank you for that. The second thing is I want to say thank you for sending Jesslyn to Honduras and uh, working in uh, our, our program there as well. Uh, she lives in uh, a little bit outside of Tegucigalpa in a community called Los, uh, El Valle de Los Angeles, the Valley of the Angels. Doesn't that sound great? Uh, has anybody been there? Has anybody been to where Jesslyn is, is living? It's, it's uh, uh, kind of uh, a, a little bit of a mountainous little area. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful area. And uh, uh, the last time I was there in Honduras, we were driving by, and uh, Andy Smith, the mission, one of our missionaries there, uh, who works with us as well, uh, pointed out where Jesslyn lives, and uh, I saw a Roll Tide banner outside. <laughs> so she's representing well. She's representing well. Uh, but thank you, thank you for uh, your commitment to to missions and uh, um, and the desire that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Ministry of Latin American Child Care, uh, which incidentally, uh, uh, we were sitting there watching the video, and, and Pastor asked me, he "says You're in you're in Haiti as well?" I said, "Yes, yeah." In fact, there was. Some of the images that you saw in the video were from Haiti. He said, well, that's not Latin America. I said, well, it's the Caribbean, which is Latin America. Uh, even though we're called Latin America Child Care, we're in Latin America and the Caribbean. And incidentally, uh, I, think, I think actually this is the first church that I've uh, going to announce this. But at the end of the year, for various reasons, um, we're actually doing a, a name change from Latin America Child Care to uh, Child Hope. And uh, we think it, it will, will help us uh, kind of explain a little bit better. But because ultimately what we do is put hope in the life of children, uh, not just in the feeding programs, not just in uh, the education, because if that's all we did, uh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be admirable, but it's just a social program. But as the Church of Jesus Christ, we want to give them the transforming hope, uh, the hope for eternal life. And, uh, and so for over 50 years, the Ministry of Latin America Child Care uh, has been in areas and countries throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, 21 countries now where we work and minister. Um, it started in the, the country of El Salvador back in the early 1960s. And over the course 
course of uh, the 50-plus year history, there have been over 2 million children who have had an opportunity to go to school because of the Ministry of Latin American Child Care. And tomorrow, about 100,000 children will have an opportunity to go into their classrooms and not only receive a quality education, um, not only, in many cases, receive the compassionate uh, ministry of a hot meal or medical attention, but they'll start their day uh, knowing that Jesus Christ loves them and, uh, and has a wonderful plan for their life. Amen. And so that's the ultimate goal is to go in. And how do we do that? Because every time we, every project that Latin America Child Care has, it's alongside a local church. Everything we do is through the local church. Because the truth is, is that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is how we're going to reach our communities. And so uh, those children that are, that are in our schools, they're, they're tied in. Um, not, not to say that they, they you know, all attend our local church there, uh, but there is a local church, a pastor, a congregation who is part of that project as well. And um, uh, that pastoring and, uh, and uh, the, uh, the staff there at the schools are constantly reminding them that Jesus Christ uh, has an incredible plan for, your, for, for their life. And so we'll, we'll, uh, as, as I get into my time here this morning a little bit, we'll uh, give you a couple of examples of what, what happens in our schools. But, you know, in 1914, when the Assemblies of God was started as a fellowship, our founding leaders committed to themselves that the Assemblies of God would become the greatest force of evangelism that the world had ever seen. That's a, I mean, as, as, as you think about that, that's a pretty lofty goal, isn't it? The greatest force of evangelism that the world had ever seen. 1914, Hot Springs, Arkansas. There's about 300 people gathered in this place, a couple of churches represented, and they say, we are going to be the greatest force of evangelism that the world has ever seen. What an incredible goal. And that commitment to reach the lost shaped the world missions effort of not only the Assemblies of God, but all of our churches shaped the, the, the missions emphasis of Tuscaloosa First Assembly of God years later to become a part of a fellowship that says Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just for us, but for whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. But how can they hear unless they are told? My father was a pastor for a lot of years. And uh, after he passed away, I was one of the, I've got four other brothers and sisters. My other brother is, uh, of course, serving the Lord, but he's, he's not in the ministry. And, and uh, so as uh, the son that was involved in ministry, one of the inheritance uh, things I didn't get, we didn't get a whole lot of money from them. Uh, in fact, my mom is still living, but, uh, uh, one of the things that my dad passed down to me was his collection of books, his library. 
And uh, we were already uh, headed to the mission field, and so all of those books were just kind of packed up into boxes. And a number of years later, as I was going through some of those, because it's not something you can just, you know, take down to Costa Rica with you. But a number of years later, I was going through a number of those boxes. And one of the books that I came upon was this book right here, The Assemblies of God in Foreign Lands. It was written in 1948 when my dad was attending a Bible school by the name of Glad Tidings, which was in San Francisco, California. Glad Tidings went on to become Bethany. and, and But... Uh, uh, this was one of his textbooks that, that he had uh, when he was in, in Bible school. And it was a comprehensive overview of the missionary emphasis, the missionary effort of the Assemblies of God. Now we're talking from 1914 now to 1948. And it was talking about where the Assemblies of God uh, had churches. And at 1948, at that time, we had churches in 48 nations of the world with approximately 200,000 adherents worldwide. So 1914, starting with 300 and a couple of handful of churches, 1948, because of an emphasis that says we will take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. So now we're in 48 countries with about 200,000 people, adherents. But fast forward it today, a little over 100 years later, 2016. The Assemblies of God, we number now more than 67 million people throughout the world. Worldwide, there is a new convert in an Assemblies of God church every 25 seconds. The Assemblies of God has churches in 255 countries or territories worldwide. Can I tell you something? That's more influence than the UN has worldwide. It's a fact. Every 39 minutes, a new church is planted somewhere in the world through an Assemblies of God church or missionary or pastor. In Latin America, where we have served as missionaries for over 25 years, that book, as I was reading it, in 1948, the Assemblies of God had 2,077 churches and preaching points had 121,000 members. So at that time, roughly half of the constituency of the Assemblies of God was in in Latin America. But today, there are more than 218,000 churches or preaching points with over 30 million adherents just in Latin America and the Caribbean region alone. That's the power of a seed. That's the power of saying, you know what? We're going to do something that, that may not seem like the logical thing to do in 1914 saying, we are going to be the greatest force of evangelism that the world has ever seen before. I mean, I'm sure that there were people that looked at them and said, what are you talking about? You're 300 people. 
How in the world are you going to be the greatest force of evangelism? But when we know what God has asked us to do, and we begin to be faithful to what God has placed in our hearts, and we begin to put our efforts and our resources and our time and our energy, this is what takes place to now becoming 67, over 67 million people worldwide just in the assemblies of God. They say that if you talk about Christianity worldwide, that there are approximately 2.2 billion churches, or Christians, excuse me, worldwide. And so, as we look at what has taken place in in the growth of Christianity and especially the growth of the Assemblies of God worldwide, we can truly marvel and say God has done an incredible work because of people who were willing to be used by God. But one of the giants, the heroes of the Assemblies of God world missions movement, Lauren Triplett, who was a missionary to Latin America before moving into Uh, the office of the executive director for all of the Assemblies of God World Missions, said this, you don't measure yourself by your success. You measure yourself against the unfinished task. You don't measure yourself against what you have done, but measure yourself against what still needs to be accomplished in the task at hand. And so while we can look back and think what an incredible influence and job that has been taken place over the course of a little over 100 years from 300 people to over 67 million people, the fact still remains that there are 700 million Buddhists in the world looking for enlightenment. One point Uh, Over one billion Hindus who believe that there are millions and millions of ways and gods that will lead them. 1.6 billion Muslims who believe that Muhammad is the only way to God. 14 million Jews who don't believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And millions upon millions of unreached people groups who have not yet heard the name of Jesus. Who do not know that that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So before we, we look at ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and say what an incredible job that we've done. And yes, we have, but the fact remains is there is an unfinished task that we still have in front of us. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So no matter what the modern culture says, the fact that that they say that there are a lot of different paths that will lead you to God. That's what this world wants you to think. That's, what, that's why they get so, uh, so, so frustrated with us who, who believe what Jesus Christ wrote in the word of God that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
The fact is that Jesus is the only door. He is the only gateway. He is the only way to have a relationship with God the Father. Romans 10 goes on to say this. But how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's what this weekend is all about. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here today is, is to talk about the fact that, that there are so many people around the world, not just here in Tuscaloosa or Alabama or the United States, but all around the world who still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They still need to hear that Jesus is the only way to heaven, to have a relationship with God. They still need to know that he died on the cross so that they could have salvation and forgiveness of their sin. But how can they hear unless they are told? And how can they be told unless we send them? It's about how will they hear. It's about raising our awareness of those who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It's about committing ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ to take the Great Commission seriously. You say, what's the Great Commission, Phil? The Great Commission is what Jesus said to us. He says, go into all of the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go into all of the world and preach the gospel. And I believe that God is going to speak to every single individual here this morning about what you can do to have a part in taking the message of Jesus Christ around the world. For most of it, for most of us here, it may be just uh, the ability to give financially and pray for the missionaries that God. But there may be those as well this morning that God begins to stir something up just like what God did in the life of Jesslyn. She heard the Holy Spirit speak to her and it wasn't just something that said, well, I'll give, but she said, I'll go. And she's there and she's working on behalf of the children of Honduras. But every single one of us this morning can do something. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? You see, we either go or we send. We either go or we send. But the Great Commission is not an option for any follower of Jesus Christ. You know, for close to 25 years, a little over now, 25 years, our family has had the joy of being one of those ones that were sent. The Davises are here this morning as well and are one of those families that God spoke to their heart. And it wasn't just something that they said, you know, well, I believe God may be saying something. They began to cultivate that call and, and ultimately took their family over to India to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And I thank you for being an example. The seeds that were sown in the lives of individuals because of the Davises continue to this day to reap a harvest after harvest after harvest after harvest. It's the power of the seed. That's why it's so important that, that we look at what we do as, as being somebody who is planting a seed in the lives of individuals. Not just the individuals that you send, but for the individuals who, who, who they will go and minister to and, and, and share Jesus Christ. But we've been involved in a number of ministries as a family over the course of the past 25 years. Having taught in the Bible schools, involved in church planning, doing camps, working with Latin American child care, pastoring a church in Guadalajara for five years. But the ministry that we have focused ourselves on, our time and our energy, the most over the course of the past 25 years is the ministry of Latin American child care. Going into areas of extreme poverty-stricken circumstances where uh, the truth is, is that most of the society that they live in looks at them and they just kind of just throw them to the side and says, well, they're, they're born in poverty. Their family was born in poverty. Their moms and dads, their grandpas and grandpas. It's, it's the lot that they've been laid to in life. They're going to they're, they're gonna live their life doing the same thing as the rest of their family has had. But yet, we know that God has a purpose for every single individual. If God allowed them to be born, if God allowed them to breathe a breath, then God has a purpose for every single one of them. God has a purpose for us this morning as well. So we've gone into the areas of extreme poverty, ministering to the children, but because of a heart of compassion, we know that we can reach out and minister to their physical need, which we should. We can minister to their intellectual needs and develop their minds, which we should. But alongside that local church, developing the plan that God has for them so that they would realize that they can have and should have and must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Children like a young boy by the name of, of Miguel who uh, was born in the Dominican Republic. He was born to a mother who was a prostitute. This is not the one that, I'm, that I want to show you. Take that one off because, well, that's the next story. That's Danny. But Miguel was born in, in, in Dominican Republic that, um, to, a, to a mother who was a prostitute, living in extreme poverty-stricken circumstances. When Danny was seven months old, actually, Dan, uh, excuse me, Miguel, I got my stories mixed up once I saw the picture. But when Miguel was seven months old, his mother, who continued to to work as a prostitute because that's the only way that she could support herself. Miguel was a product of a relationship that she had had doing her work. When he was seven months old, Miguel's mother brought her to his grandmother and asked if she could babysit 
She had some things to do. And his grand, her grandma, Miguel's grandmother said, sure. Danny, Miguel's mother said, I'll be, I'll be back to pick him up later. Well, that babysitting job lasted well into Miguel's teenage years because Miguel's mother just didn't have any way to, to support him and take care of him. When Miguel was about five or six years old, hadn't been to school yet, there was no way for him to go to school. There was not even an opportunity for him to go to school where he was living at there in a town called San Pedro de Macorís, which is on the coast of the Dominican Republic. It's known as the, the cradle of baseball players. If you look at the Major League Baseball teams here in the United States, you're going to see an incredible amount of Dominicans who are playing baseball. And a lot of them come from San Pedro de Macorís, where, where Miguel grew up. Miguel's grandmother was 53 years of age when he was dropped off for that babysitting job. She was working, just trying to survive herself. And when all of a sudden there was a a newborn baby, she had to get another job in order to buy food and diapers and the ability to take care of them. As he began to grow, Miguel's uh, grandmother heard about one of our Latin American child care schools there in San Pedro but it was an hour away from where they lived. But they made the trek across the city and knocked on the door of the school. His grandmother asked if Miguel could go to school there. Of course, the answer was yes. So every single day, they made an hour walk across the city so that Miguel could go to school. At the end of the day, an hour walk back home, living in extreme poverty-stricken circumstances. And it was in that environment that not only did, did Miguel begin to study and begin to receive an education, but, but it was in that environment that Miguel began to hear that God had an incredible plan for his life, that God loved him. It didn't matter the circumstances that he was born into. It didn't matter the fact that He didn't have a dad. It didn't matter that his mother was working in an illicit type of work. God had a plan for Miguel. Miguel would go home and back in the environment that he lived in there in extreme poverty where there was drugs and there was alcoholism and there was gang activity. And and the truth is, is that Miguel began to be involved in those type of activities. Joined a gang became an alcoholic as a teenager. But he never stopped going to school. Didn't matter how bad his life seemed, he always made that trek back to the school. His family there in the school, the, the, the schoolmates and the teachers and the pastor knew that he was experiencing a really difficult time, but they continued to be alongside him, continued to pour into his life. Got so bad at one point that he moved out of his grandmother's home just began to just kind of live wherever he could, jumping from one friend to another friend, sleeping where he could. But he always would go to school. He always would make his way back. He felt a sense of comfort. He felt that it was a safe place. 
And in the back of his mind, he always knew that God had a plan for his life. One night as a teenager in a drunken stupor, sitting outside the house of whoever he was living with at that particular time, he reached in and he got a Bible that had been given to him at our school and he opened that Bible. And even though he was drunk, he began to read the word of God. And there was something as he read the word of God that began to work into his life. And he all of a sudden felt the Holy Spirit begin to speak to his life. And even in a drunken stupor, sitting outside that shack, he looked up into heaven and he said, God, if what you say in this word is true, if what this Bible says to me is true, if what my teachers and that pastor at the school say is true, then God, if you'll save me, if you'll, if you'll change my life, I'll do anything that you want me to do. And in an instant, he was sober. How many know that God can do things instantaneously in our lives? In an instant, he became sober. The next day, he goes back to the school and he begins to talk to his teachers and then he goes to his pastor and tells them what happened. And his pastor began to make it a, a point of discipling him personally. It was evident soon thereafter that God did have a call on Miguel's life. And so even while he was still in school, the pastor enrolled him in Bible school. So he was going to high school and he was going to Bible school at the same time. Graduated from high school, had just a little bit of of, of studies left to go in Bible school. When he graduated Bible school, his pastor had what we call in Spanish a campo blanco or a a, a mission work out on the outskirts of the city. And he he wanted Miguel to go go and pastor that that small work that the, the church had started. And so he began to do that. Pastored that work for a couple of years and then moved over to Uh, the border of Dominican Republic and Haiti. Those two countries share what's called the Isla de Española, the the Espanol Island. And the the Dominicans absolutely despise the Haitians. I mean, just cannot stand them. Anything that happens bad in their country, they blame the Haitians, somebody from from Haiti that's come over. It's kind of like in the Word of God, you know, the, the relationship that the Jews and the Samaritans had with each other, that's the Dominican Dominican. Haitian relationship. And Miguel was pastoring that church there on the border when God called him to be a missionary to Haiti. And he answered that call. And for the last 10 years or so, Miguel has been a missionary to Haiti. The first Assemblies of God missionary from the Dominican Republic to go to Haiti. In fact, he works in some of our schools there in Haiti as well. But I saw Miguel not long ago, about six months ago, and I was talking to him and and, uh, just kind of getting an update of what God was doing in his life. And he he, he looks at me and he says, you know what, hermano Felipe, brother Phil, you know what? He says, I've been a missionary in Haiti. Has anybody been to Haiti? Haiti's not an easy place to live, is it? For anybody. I mean, it is extremely difficult. The poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And Miguel looks at me and says, you know, Brother Phil, I think God is calling me to go to a hard place as a missionary. I think he's calling me to go to Mongolia as a missionary. 
You see, what we do is when we begin to plant the seed, the financial seed, to send our missionaries around the world, they get to go, we get to go, we get to go minister to, 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 to little boys like Miguel, who, who God transforms their life, born in an incredible poverty, born in an incredible situation, but God has a plan for their life, and, and God turns their life around. And then Miguel begins to follow the Lord and answers the call to ministry and begins to serve the Lord. And, 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 and people come to know Jesus as his personal Savior. So now Miguel is pastored in Dominican Republic. He's been a missionary in Haiti. He's preparing himself to go to Mongolia. And you know what? It's the power of the seed. See, what we do is we plant the message of Jesus Christ in the lives of individuals. Let me tell you one more story about a little boy by the name of Danny. And, and here you go. Now is the time to put up Danny. This is Danny right here. He's a two years old sitting. Uh, he's on the left right there. He's sitting outside this, the, the home of his grandma there in a town called, or a, commu- a community called Linda Vista in San Jose, Costa Rica. Linda Vista literally translated means beautiful view. But as you walk through the community of Linda Vista and you see the poverty and the need and the crime and the drugs and the prostitution, you go, this is not a beautiful view. But that's what Danny was born into. When Danny was five years old, he, his dad walked out of his life, left his mother, and he never saw him again. But when he was five years old, Danny was also enrolled in our school there in his community called Linda, uh, Escuela Cristiana Linda Vista. And it was there that Danny began to feel the love of God the Father. His father, temporal father, his earthly father had left, but Danny began to feel the love of his heavenly father. One of the things that happens in our schools is that they're always encouraged to dream. God's got a plan for your life. God's got something for you. He's got a purpose for you. So not only they're sitting there learning how to read and write and and doing all the things that people do when they go to school, but they're also being cultivated to be successful adults as God begins to work in their life. When Danny was eight years old, one of the opportunities that our kids have so many times Danny raised his hand and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Our director there, Coralia, could tell that God had a purpose for, me, for, for Danny. And so one day as he was probably about 10 years old, Coralia asked Danny, said, Danny, what do you want to do when you grow up? And Danny said, you know what? I want to be a medical doctor. Coralia said, you know what? If God has called you to be a medical doctor, if you'll be faithful in your studies, if you'll continue to serve the Lord, if you'll do everything that you know you're supposed to do, you'll see that dream become a reality. He'd go out and he'd begin to tell his neighbors and his other friends there that, that weren't a part of the school that, that uh, he was going to become a medical doctor. And they'd look at him and they'd say, nobody from Linda Vista becomes a doctor. Don't allow yourself to think like that. Don't allow yourself to dream like that. You're just setting yourself up to get hurt. 
People from Linda Vista become street vendors or they become day laborers or they become drunks or, or, or you'll never become a medical. Nobody from Linda Vista becomes a doctor. But he knew what God had spoken to his heart. He was getting ready to graduate from high school still with that dream that God had put in his heart. But he knew he couldn't afford medical school. But he heard about a political party there in Costa Rica who was offering 15 full-ride scholarships to go to medical school. And so he filled out an application along with about 500 other Costa Ricans for one of those scholarships, one of 15. Danny got a scholarship to go to medical school. But it wasn't to go to the University of Costa Rica In fact, it wasn't even in Costa Rica, he found out later. It was to go to Havana, Cuba to learn how to to become a doctor, to study to become a doctor. So he packed his bags and he headed off to Cuba where he began to study medicine. One of the things that the organizers of the, the program, the exchange program that he was in, wanted them to do because there was a number of nations represented there in that exchange program was to talk about culture where they live, talk about what it was like to, to live in their country. So Danny would talk about Costa Rica and, and, and uh, what it's like to live in Central America and the rainforest and all that kind of stuff. But he would always bring it around and he'd begin to tell them about Jesus Christ. Several people gave their life to the Lord. And when the organizers found out about it, they said, Danny, you can't do that. This is Cuba. We're a communist nation. You can't do that. And if you can't abide by the rules, we'll send you back. Danny would tell him, you want me to talk about my culture? And the fact is, is that Jesus is part of my culture. Well, long story short, when by the time Danny had finished medical school there in Havana, Cuba, he had won over 200 people to the Lord as their savior. The power of a seed. Danny got back to Costa Rica and the last thing that he had to do in order to begin practicing medicine was take a comprehensive exam of everything that he had studied. Five years of medical school boiled down to one exam. And so he goes into this classroom there on the University of Costa Rica who was proctoring the the test and he knew he had done all he could. He had studied, he'd prepared himself, he'd, 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 been faithful to what God had spoken to his heart. He felt good about the test. Sat in there with about 70 other people and they began to take that test and it was hours of of answering questions. You can imagine, comprehensive test over five years of studies. When he answers that last question and he signs his name and hands it in, he thinks everything's good. I think I got this. About two weeks later, an envelope arrives at his house there in Linda Vista with the results of the test. And he opens that envelope up and he looks at it and it says, failed. He didn't pass the test. And he's heartbroken and he's discouraged and he doesn't know what in the world he's going to do. He knew he'd studied hard, he'd prepared, he, he felt like he had done well on that test. 
And while he's trying to figure out the next couple of days, while he's trying to figure out what the next step is, does he need to go back to school? Does he, can he take the test again? News gets to him that the person who was administrating the testing process needed to see him. So he comes off the mountain there in Linda Vista and he goes back into the University of Costa Rica. He's sitting across the desk from the professor. And the professor tells him that there was fraud involved in the testing process. And the person who was grading Danny's test when they found out that he was from Linda Vista, they said, nobody from Linda Vista becomes a doctor. And they just failed him. But that administrator looked over and said, but Danny, the truth is, is that you did pass the test. And he hands him a certificate of completion. And here's Danny sitting at the very same place he was as a two-year-old. Next to his grandma's house. His grandma's house looks a little bit better, but he's wearing his doctor's coat this time. And this next picture is Danny back at our school with a young lady that he married. Did pretty good, don't you think? (laughs) Danny's been practicing medicine for now over five years in Costa Rica. But you see... His story still isn't done because God also placed an additional call on Danny's life. And him and his wife are itinerating, raising funds in Costa Rica right now because God has placed a call on their life as missionaries to the country of Spain. And they're going to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Spain. You see, that's what this weekend is all about. It's not just about what I do. It's not just about what the Davises have done. It's not just about what what people uh, here at Tuscaloosa, when they make a call for salvation, it's about those that we, lives that we have been affected and then they begin to affect the lives of others and they begin to affect the lives of others as well. Can I tell you something? There are a lot of people who still need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. But how can they hear? unless they're told. And how can they be told unless somebody goes? And how can they go unless they're sent? This morning, I believe each and every one of you have have two things in your hand. You have the, the prayer poster that uh, pastors, you, you need to pass those out? Okay. If, uh, if, if, if our ushers will help us pass both the, that and the, uh, the faith promise, if you don't have the faith promise in your hand. You see, this morning we have credible opportunity to do something significant for the kingdom of God. We have an opportunity. If, you'll, if you will see, as, as the ushers pass these out, and if you'll open up when you get it, I didn't count it, Pastor. How many did you say? How many faces are on this? How many families represented? 33 families. 33 families 
that are spread out literally all across the globe. Tuscaloosa First Assembly this morning has an influence literally around the globe. Every single continent in this nation is being affected because of Tuscaloosa First Assembly. I mean, you've got India, you've got Australia, you've got Hong Kong, you've got Japan, you've got Honduras, you've got Tanzania, you've got Central America, Nepal. I mean, I'm not going to take the time. You can see that. But this is what I'm convinced of this morning. Because it's not just about a sermon that was preached. It wasn't just about stories that I told about lives being changed. It's about what can do to make another story, to produce another life that is changed by the power of God. And so the other thing that you have our faith promise. What's a faith promise? A faith promise is not doing what you think you know you can do, but asking God, God, what would you have me do this next year, 2017, whether on a monthly basis or on a one-time gift for the entire year. A lot of times it's easier to think of in a monthly, so much a month that we, we, that way we can kind of fit it into our budget. But it's not necessarily even, can we just fit it into our budget? It's God, what would you, if God, if, if you speak to my heart, even though I know I can't do it, if you'll help me do it, I will, I'll put that amount down. You see, I think every single individual here this morning can do something. Every single individual can do something. Even our children are asked to do things. You know, BGMC, the buddy barrel. You guys do that here? I mean, even our own kids are doing that. Uh, Teenagers involved in speed the light. You You know how to make adults give to the kingdom of God? Put it in their lives as children. If we want to create adults who give to missions, and that's what you do through BGMC and through Speed the Light. But I think every single individual who here can do something. Something. Others can do a little bit more. And then I think there is even others who God has blessed that you can do something significant for the kingdom of God. I asked Pastor, Pastor Lynn this morning what we wanted to shoot for a month if we could get about $2,000 a month above over our tithe and offering, we could do significantly more than what we're doing right now as a church. Is that correct, Pastor? I think we can do $2,000 a month out of here. The truth is, is that God may have blessed somebody and said, that's what I want to do a month. Then we were way over the top on that. But everybody can do something. Some can do a little bit more, and a few can do something significant. So what I want us to do right now is bow our heads and say, Holy Spirit, you speak to my heart. Don't have your checkbook speak to your heart. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. What would you have me do? And you might think, you know, I can't do that. It's a dish. I can't do that. But I guarantee you one thing, just like Danny God spoke to his heart. Everybody else said, you can't do it. His, teach, his, his director said, if you'll be faithful to God, God will provide. And God did that. 
So this morning is God is faithful. As you're, you're faithful to God, God will be faithful to you and provide. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning. And Father, Lord, we've been, we've been encouraged by what has happened uh, because of a fellowship that has made the evangelism of the world a priority. And we've seen and we've heard things that have taken place in the, a short span of history because of individuals who were faithful to the call of God and the, and, and the vision that you placed in their heart. And Father, we've heard about the need that still exists in this nation, in, in this world, Father. The fact that there are literally billions who still need to have a relationship with you. And Father, we also know that today in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, at First Assembly of God, we can make a difference we can plant a seed. We can make, make uh, the, the fact that there are still others who need to, to, be, to go, to be sent. We can make it become a reality because of what's going to happen this morning in this place. And Father, we'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise because you are a faithful God. We ask it in your name. Amen.